if you're not willing to suck on day one because you've got too big of an ego, because you think uh, everybody's opinion of you is more important than the opinion of yourself, then you'll never do it. How is it going, ladies and gentlemen? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you back to The Way of the Wolf. Our guest today is a gentleman named Michael David. He is a father of three, an entrepreneur, and a life and mindset coach. Also, the host and is starting up 35K a day platform for helping people grow and become better. So, Michael, welcome to The Way of the Wolf. Thanks, Sean. It's been a real pleasure to be here. <laughs> this is really cool. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty pretty pumped. we got a little bit different lighting today, so I'm setup. curious to see how all of this Next works level. for us. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I geek out over it. The technology here. <laughs> You're full nerd. Yeah. <laughs> full nerd, man. Exactly. I embrace it. <laughs> okay. Let's start off with, I see this here on your phone. What is 35K? Talk me through that. 35K expanded is 35K a day. And most people think it's money, um, which the 35K that I'm referring to is more valuable than money. It's about the 35,000 decisions that we make on a daily basis from the micro to the macro. Um, depending on where you research, uh, what narratives you find. It really started for me back on November 5th of 2010 when I woke up at 3 a.m. with this poem called I Decide. And I just, I keep a journal next to my bed and I just wrote it as quickly as I could because I'm not a poet. But it it really personified for me growing up. Um, you know, I was a, a, started competing as a cyclist at the age of 12, 13. And there was no athlete in my family that did that. Like I, I was the odd kid. <laughs> odd kid with nothing but leg muscles and shave, shaved, you know, shaving my legs and weird tan lines. Um, but it, it was, Nobody did it around me. Played soccer, you know, football, that kind of stuff. But cycling still it in the, I mean, that was um, mid-80s where Greg LeMond had won the Tour de France. So he was kind of the pinnacle, um, the first American. And so that kind of became my, I'm going to do that, right? And so, but that became my outlet through a lot of the chaos that I was going through as a kid. When I wrote that poem, it just, I, I, I didn't know what to do with it. And I had a bunch of buddies over one day about oh, about a month or two later. And I was like, guys, let me read this poem to you and just kind of give me your feedback. Because I, I just, I didn't, I write copy. I've been advertising, marketing for many years, but this was a completely different art form. And I said, I want, I want to read this to you and tell me what you think. And I read it and you could have heard a mouse fart. And I was like, well, I guess that sucked. And I was like, all right, thanks for coming out. I'll see you guys later. Like, I was like, I guess that bombed. Like, no, dude, that was so motivating. Like, you need to do something with that. So... My 15-year career as a photographer uh, had some photos that um, I was like, you know what? Because it embodies the drive of an athlete. Uh, it, it really uh, told the story of when somebody asked you, how do you get up and you know ride your bike for 100 miles? How do you end up doing a wad that would kill most people? I don't know. I just, I just decide to do it, right? Um, how do you get up every day and do the things that you do? It for some, it becomes a conscious choice. Others, it becomes a subconscious because it's become a habit. And so I took the poem because it's very binary. It's very black and white. Next to this photo uh, that was not part of a campaign that was used by Nike. And I uh, put it on Facebook, tagged a few of my athlete, triathlete friends, and had somebody go, MD, how can I get the poster? Um, poster? Like, 
what the f are you talking about? Like it's, it was Facebook. <laughs> like, so, okay, maybe I should do a poster. Okay. I'll do a poster. And I sold a lot of them because for people that are an athlete, it, it's that mentality that you finally had a way to answer. This is why, this is why it, it's a choice for me. Right. And, um, working out, had a lot of friends in bodybuilding as I was become a photographer in that industry. And every, every rep, every set, the intensity level, it's all a choice, right? Uh, you talk to bodybuilders, you talk to uh, any athlete at an upper level. It is a, it's a choice of intention when you get up because you're tempted by comfort and ease. And that's the very enemy of progress. But how do you get over the hump? And you make this assumption of people that make it look easy because they're so good at it. Your professionals, your your Phil Heaths, your Michael Hearns, your uh, um, Tiger Woods, any of these elite athletes, and you think it's just easy. It is a it. I got injured uh, around the age of twenty. Injured my my lower back. Ended my cycling career. I was training to hopefully try to make the Olympic trials for the Barcelona Games, and because cycling was my escape for me as a kid, coming through a house of volatility and abuse. I lost the very thing that I needed in my life. And I gained over hundred pounds within close to a year. I kind of picked it back up uh, when a friend of mine invited me to go mountain biking. And sports have been my thing. That's been my outlet. But it kind of had that aha for me <sighs> when you talk to people and you ask them, how do you continually get up and do the thing that you don't want to do? But you do it anyways. And you ask, most people can't articulate it. It's just, I don't know, man. Like, I just do it. I need cause and effect. I'm a very practical person. I don't deal with ideology and philosophy very well. Um, and so this um, I decide message for me became this uh, reminder. So I took I decide. And I put it on a wristband and I did like 25 of them, you know, because Livestrong had the, it really made the, the silicone wristband like a thing, right? It was like this identifier for people. I made a wristband, gave it to all my friends. And I took a picture of it just with my hand on the steering wheel, kind of that analogy of, you know, direction as a choice. And I had several friends go, MD, how do I get that wristband? Hmm. Oh man, I guess I better do wristbands. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I it just, I kind of kept stumbling into it. And so I made, um, what did I get initially? Like 5,000 wristbands. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going to sell them in pairs because I would end up talking to somebody and through literally in Kroger, Costco, at the airports, um, just random places, and have always had this thing in life where I've been able to quickly have this opportunity to really go deep with somebody and really hear their personal story. I don't know why this happens with me. Um, but I always end up going, you know what? I'm amazed that you and I met, but I want to give you something. And I will t always take that wristband off my wrist and say, I want this to be a reminder for you that whenever you're going through something, that it is your decision of the outcome, no matter what else happens, this is your choice. And this right here, like eye to eye, like I get chills. There's an energy exchange within people and you can't, you can't discredit that quantum level of people. And this has been my gift. And so I've given away way more than I've ever sold. And I've sold a shit ton of wristbands that 
Um, ended up doing t-shirts with a poem on the back. Um, I was getting orders from people that in over 30 countries. Like it was just mind blowing to me. Me and my kids would fulfill these orders every night, just lined up in, in uh, my office. And I'm just like, holy cow, like I can't believe this thing is growing. And so I started to take the, the statements that I would write to myself in my journals. Because when I journal, I don't journal like, I had a shitty day today. Or, can, I, can I cuss? My yeah. bad. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't want to create an editing nightmare. No. For, okay. <laughs> um, but because I, I, when I go through things, especially the inward battle between these six inches, it's a struggle for me and anybody. And uh, so I needed to write things down that gave me the thoughts in a first person way of a way to rethink a moment. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to start to put these quotes um, out there and just, again, black and white, right? And I, and I, put, I kept them in first person because nobody wants to be told how to make a decision. We're, we're averse to control, right? Because I figured if we can begin to reframe how we think, then we'll begin to reframe the outcomes of our life. And they started to get shared. This is on Facebook in... Um, 2010, right? Uh, 2011. In 2011, I have an opportunity to go on a fertile journalism trip to Nigeria and um, ended up facing my greatest fear of like, am I even going to make it through this thing? And um, it came to a point through the things that I'd experienced that I did not think I was going to make it out. Hey, talk me through that. When you say, I'm not sure I'm going to make it through this thing, was there something that happened on the trip? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that trip kind of went sideways real quick. Um, it was during some elections. Um, president, um, what was his name? Um, Good Faith Jonathan was the president at the time. And that country is very corrupt, like a lot of third world countries. My first uh, trip outside of the US, on, actually, um, my passport visa were expedited. Uh, I was assured by people that were a part of this nonprofit that I was uh, documenting their impact of the water wells they were putting in the country, basically for a fundraiser. And um, no, no, you'll be, you'll be safe. Everything's fine. Well, it's safe for you if you've come from that. I'm coming from where I pull up in Starbucks and get a Frappuccino, right? Two different worlds. And uh, I was also the only white man everywhere I went. I had, you know, bodyguards and security and my escort and stuff, but I was going, they were taking me to areas I should not have been taken to. And I saw some, the beauty of the simplicity of life when you have nothing. And I also saw the horror of humanity when it's the primitive level of whatever you have to do to survive. And if you're not within my immediate family in my village, your life is meaningless. If you get in my way, I will end it. And I was, uh, I just saw some horrific things that, you know, I'm not a soldier. I'm, I was not, I was not there on a militant mission. I was there to document. And so because the elections and everything was very hostile and the way that country is split between Christianity and Muslim, I was in an area where it was really Muslim controlled and, and it, everything is really militia driven, localized militia, right? And it's all about money. It's all it's about. You pay them off, you keep going. But if they get a little bit too curious or they want to look in your black Pelican case of camera gear and this giant yellow backpack. Cause I, how could I not stand out even more going through this country? And, um, that particular night, uh, Cheeto was my, uh, immediate bodyguard that kind of followed me everywhere. 
he was in my room because there's a real fear of getting abducted. And, um, I had my best friend, Natalie, um, God bless her. still to this day, my best friend. Uh, she was my one contact and I had a basically page to go phone and I would call her, tell her where I was and where we were headed. And then I would do a video recording of kind of what happened of the day. And then I would journal and write nine days in, I was there for 14 days, nine days in, it was at a point I was so deep in country and there were so many things that I'd seen that were happening because the elections and things were happening directly around me that I was truly in fear for my life. And I sat there in my room. I've never felt that kind of fear in my life before where you literally know you're going to die. I had to accept the fact that I was not going to see my kids again. Was I enough? And I opened up my journal, I turned the camera on and I had nothing. And to face fear, the fear, the imminent fear that you feared you would ever have to face, but you're listening to the voices that say it will never happen. I never should have gone had I known <laughs> hindsight, but I sat in that for about two hours. Cheeto picked up my camera and took this photo of me just sitting on this bed and I still have it. And I'm literally looking at my journal and I have nothing. And there's this, there's this moment when you face that imminent fear and it could be anything in life that you face where you're like, oh shit, I don't know how to get through this. I don't know, I've never faced this before. I don't know what to do. And I was wearing my wristband. And you know, you wear something all the time, you kind of forget about it, right? And it's kind of how we hold on to things in life that we really shouldn't. It just becomes, it's comfortable but it's not necessarily good for us, right? But we overlook things that we need to be reminded of. And I look down, and that's why I wear my wristband this way. I don't wear it for others to read, I read it for me to read. It's like, I decide. No, I'm getting the fuck home. And it was this switch that just, it just, it was so prominent in that moment. I don't know how, done seem, it literally seemed impossible. And there's this click in, that, in, in, my, in my spirit. It was like, I'm getting home. And I wrote down this phrase in my journal on that one page. Finished the trip, still <laughs> hairy. St finally made it home. And the, it's a harsh thing to be able to go from a third world country and then you're in Atlanta next to a Starbucks. <laughs> like it's such a weird mental shift. And I'd seriously dealt with some heavy uh, issues for a couple of years. I had night terrors for months. Um, I'm getting fidgety. makes me nervous when I kind of rethink this. Um, still deal with bouts of like social anxiety sometimes when, because there'll be a smell or a sound that just, it's a trigger, right? And all of a sudden I'll just get like overwhelmed with anxiety. And get I get very into myself as we do in survival mode. Like we just be, we just, and I try to find a way to get out. <laughs> um, this phrase, months later when I'm putting the documentary together, I had to go through the journal to get context. And I flipped to that page and it just, it froze me. And that quote ended up um, really answered how did I get through all the things that I faced in my life? A lot of the struggles, a lot of the challenges, the abuse I had as a kid, um, and the constant pitfalls that I kept falling. Like, why am I so unlucky in my life, <laughs> right? Why is this happening to me? 
because I, I was still in a victim state of mind because I had a lack of control, which is most people. That quote, real, I, I realized for me, was my backbone. Now, I'm a man of faith. Like, I, I gave my life to Christ when I was six, um, but I walked away from religion when I was 17. And it wasn't until about eight or nine years later where I began my personal walk with Christ, which is very different than following religion for me. So it kept mulling on me, this quote. And I was like, I, this is probably one of the most impactful quotes that really answers for me how I've been able to get through a lot of this stuff. And so I uh, contacted a friend of mine. I, was, I, I wanted to get it tattooed on me. And I think I want it down my entire spine. So got a hold of this uh, tattoo artist that came to my house and did it with my kids home. And uh, they were little at the time. It was about a four or five hour bout of just constant nausea and pain. <laughs> he just did it down my entire back. And it has been the one quote that I have on the inside of all my wristbands now. And it says, when all else fails, I won't. Though again, I have faith. God's there. But still, we have a choice. That's our greatest power in life is the, is the power of choice. No matter what we face, no matter what we have in front of us, we have a decision to make. Sometimes we automate a choice based on comfort. Other times we are intentional about our decisions because we have a deliberate outcome we actually want to reach. But conditions will never go our way. People will fail us left and right. That has nothing to do with us. But our reaction has everything to do with us. And when things fail us, people fail us, I will not fail myself. I will find a way to do it. And that's that level of being absolutely resolute in yourself, knowing but this only comes from waking up daily with intention. Because most people, and even myself, I had a lot of uh, conflict, a lot of anxiety, because you know you want more in life, you know you can be more in life, but when you're settling for comfort and ease, you deal with this internal friction because your actions don't really align with your intention. So you end up kind of becoming a victim to the conditions of the world around you. Well, it's, you know, well, shit, that, you know, that guy cut me off. I guess that's going to ruin my Monday. Really? One guy that cut you off because who knows? Maybe he was headed to the hospital. Maybe he had a bout of IBS. Like, who knows? But it's not about you. But if you constantly make it about you and that mentality, you're constantly staying in the state of victimhood. Because of all that I was coming through and using sports for me, I needed a way to find control. Okay. I just gave you a lot. You did. <laughs> Shit. All right. Okay, let's dive into this victim mentality mm -hmm. and the lack of control. Yeah. And people making it all about them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Especially in our YOLO culture. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's, there's a lot there. And whenever I think about the people that I have conversations with or coach or mentor, some of them have this victim mentality that they can't get away. Why me? Why is this happening to me? Poor pitiful me. This is, this is BS. Why, why is my life the one that's falling apart? Very focused on them. And what I think a lot of people struggle to recognize is they decide. They are in control of their entire life. So how do you reconcile the fact that people sit in this victim mentality or mindset? They're so focused on themselves, but they don't recognize that 
everything that has happened to them is a result of the decisions that they're making. If they're sitting in this comfort zone, there's a reason why. They're not making the decision. They're not making that tough call. So why do you think some people choose to live in that victim mentality? We've been preconditioned and nurtured in a way that um, we believe that everything should just happen because we want it to happen without putting in the work to make it happen. And when it doesn't happen the way we want, well, either A, we blame anything and everything else because it's easier to do that than to look in the mirror and go, what was the part that I played? Most people don't want to face the fact, they don't want to face accountability to themselves because people are afraid to admit that they've made bad decisions, that um, they're, and also a fear of thinking that they're incapable of anything of note or worth, partly because of how we've been raised. Follow everyone else, don't go outside the line, and if you do go outside the line, you're gonna get reprimanded, because how dare you think different? How dare you be bold enough to think that you can actually do enough that gives you a sense of self-pride? And I think society and our education system are built to create people that think that way. hundred percent. And that's unfortunate. We're not giving that the the ability to be free thinkers. No, Mm -mm. not free thinkers. Or if you have this entrepreneurial spirit, you want to go do your own thing. No, 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 no. That's not safe. That's risky. Go work for a company, get a job, retire. That's an old school mindset and way of thinking. People don't stay at jobs for 20, 30, 40 years and, and retire anymore. And it seems that society is starting to evolve and, and recognize this, but the the structure and pieces of society that guide us and, and try to guide us in a given direction aren't recognizing that or they are and they're just pushing harder and harder no 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 no. you stay inside the line you don't go do that that's reckless that's dangerous that's ridiculous type of a thing have you noticed that people's limiting beliefs come from two things their upbringing which kind of forms this expectation of how they think life is going to go based on how it was shown to them by the people closest to them their parents their siblings, right? They're, they're closest people of influence when you're in that age between like five and 24, where your brain is really forming and being molded into what's gonna create your core value system that you're either going to accept or deny. But until you're willing to be intentional, you're typically going to accept and you're going to mirror what you were shown. How do you break free from that? you have to be able to face the darkness that you came from. You have to be able to stop going, why did this happen to me and go, what is this showing me? What is this teaching me? What is this revealing to me? And what is this doing to help me become better? One of the things about people that we overlook is most people think, um, they look at the people that are really successful and they think, well, they got lucky or they're of the three-piece thoroughbreds that I like to call them. I was in a room with them a few days ago at the River Oaks Country Club. You think it was just lucky for them. You think you're not destined for that because of where you came from because people think their past is their destiny and it's also their, their, their current address for the rest of their life. Your past is not your destiny. Only if you choose to react and make it happen that way, right? Because your focus is everything. Your focus is what drives everything else in your life, right? If you wanna be a skilled sniper, and your target's here, 
but your scope is here, you're never gonna hit your fucking target. That's how most people live life. They want this, but their focus is way off course. They're not front side focused, as Navy SEAL say. You've got to align. So your actions have to match your intentions. If they do not, you're always gonna be going, it's never gonna happen for me. It can, but you've gotta go, okay, wait a minute. Three kids, married and divorced three times. Most people, oh, I'm just not destined for love. What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with any of us. We've just adopted behaviors based on what little we knew at the time when we were younger, when we didn't know, when we didn't have any EQ maturity. We didn't understand how to navigate things. We just knew what little we knew to protect from threat, from fear, and survive. And then we held on to those same behaviors the rest of our lives. So that's why we continually get, that's why we continually get triggered and then operate the same way we did when we were younger. Until you go, wait a minute, first of all, whatever happened to us when we were younger, take me for example, didn't deserve that, but it happened. Okay, what am I gonna do about it? What am I gonna do with it? Do, am I gonna mirror that to my kids? No, I'm not gonna be that kind of parent. Then how do I change? Because you can want different, but until you start doing different, you'll never be different. But it's the actions for people that really that people struggle with because they they think of the work that has to go into it, and they think of this massive amount of work that has to go into getting somewhere in life. Because people get overwhelmed with the magnitude based on where they think they are versus where they want to be, and they think that gap is so big and so broad and and so far that they think I just can't do it. Being a triathlete taught me, being an athlete in general, competitive athlete in general, taught me the lessons in life that I reference and use in so many different areas between relationships and business. But I had to come to the point in my life where I went, okay, through everything that's been happening in my life, I am the common thread. I'm the common denominator. Okay, MD, do you like these outcomes? I do not. Okay, then what are you gonna do about it? I need to find out what what are my trends and habits? And then where are they rooted? So I can go back to their root, face those things that I kinda don't wanna face, but face them so I can learn. Because who I am today is who I needed then, which is what most people don't think about. Yeah, we're not perfect, but who we are today should prove you that you're capable. Because you've come through a world of shit up to this very moment. And people that are listening, you may be coming through some really hard times. You may be coming through some addiction recovery. You may be coming through some really bad, overwhelming struggles that you see no hope. And you think, how can I do this? And the one thing that I, that I love to remind people of is I, I, I ask them, what is your deepest, darkest, hardest moment you've ever faced in your entire fucking life? Sit in it for a second. Are you there? Okay. You're not there anymore. Why? You got out of it, you found a way, which proves you are fucking capable. You just have to remind yourself of the progress you're making. So when you look at your past, you don't look at it as, oh my God, I cannot believe I did that, I can't believe it happened to me. Look at where you were and where you are today. It's different. Now, is it exactly ideal? Probably not. But are you on your way to something different? Yes, why? Because you at least made some effort to get through that. It wasn't pretty but you got through it. Our past doesn't have to define us. 
And I think a lot of people, what you're touching on here is the fact that a lot of people feel like their past defines them. All of these things that happen to them defines who they are. That's only the case if you are not learning from the lessons that were taught to you in the past and and viewing that that adversity that you went through as a lesson. Hey, what did this teach me? I mean, that, that is that is uh, being an athlete one on one. If you want to get better, faster, stronger, you have to inflict resistance. There was a guy that came up to me um, after I uh, started getting back in shape and riding with the, uh, the bike club. Uh, this was after my back injury and kind of had, had that aha moment, right? I'm not an injured cyclist. I'm just fat, <laughs> right? You just, you kind of have to be honest, right? Yeah. Because until you're honest with where you are, you're not going to be open to going to where you want to be. Okay. Let's dive into that for a moment. When, when you have friends or family or colleagues or, or people that genuinely care about you, did any of them say, Hey, MD, you're not an injured cyclist anymore. You're just fat. Or did you have to come to that realization on your own? That's that was my first own. question. On your own. Mm-hmm. Okay. Went over to tie my shoes and I couldn't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, okay, this is a sign. Uh-huh. This is a sign. I looked in the mirror and realized uh, the shirt was like, you, you can't hide in the shirt anymore. You're yeah. like, oh, bro, you fat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you just Pillsbury now. Have you ever had somebody that meant a lot to you come up to you and say, Hey, MD, you're, you're fucking this up. You're going down the wrong path. I did. How did you receive that? Better than most people would. Um, I, this was after my injury overweight. Um, I was an engineer for Sprint Cellular in a good place in life, but also in a very bad place because I was still trying to, to cut the cords of all the things that happened with, uh, my childhood growing up. And, um, and walking away from religion and all these things that my family was sucked up into. And, um, my best friend at the time, I'd helped him build his deck on the back and I was having barbecue. It's in East Texas. And, um, this couple were sharing, they just got engaged. And again, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. It's one of the, one of the scriptures, right? And I don't know many, but that's one that's always stuck with me. Um, because, and this is the thing about people, whatever they do and say is a, is a window into who and where they are. Our reaction to them is a window into who and where we are. Damn that there's so much yeah. truth to that. Yeah. When, when, especially with social media, the, the way it is designed to just suck you in right. with, with drama and tug on that lizard brain, these people that lash out at you, it's more of an indication of where they are at. And, and an example that comes to mind, there is a reporter that I've followed on social media for a couple of years now. She's pretty decent there. She posted a reel and with a little bit of a snarky demeanor about something. And, and I sent her a message or responded in the, in the comments. I was like, Hey, you know, something to maybe consider is whenever you come across with this type of a demeanor, it could be a little bit off putting for some of your, your listeners or whatnot. And her response was, I've been a reporter for 20 years. I don't need you to tell me how to do my job. She's insecure. Yeah. I responded back. Okay. Sorry. wasn't my intent. I was just genuinely trying to help. I've been following you for a few years now. You're doing great stuff. Wish you the best type of a thing. And, but at, 
first, I was like, whenever I read through it, I was like, well, damn, that's okay. And then my heart went out to her. I was like, oh, wow. This person, she's she's not in the best place to be able to lash out like that at a, at a follower, somebody who's been following for quite some time. So I found that interesting and an unfortunate Whenever you encounter someone like that, how much energy do you invest in trying to help them, trying to say, hey, you doing okay? So that moment for me, and I'm going to answer this, mm -hmm. um, that moment for me. So this couple got engaged and where I was in life revealed where I was in life based on what I said. And I spouted off some statistic of successful rarages, right? <laughs> Here Those are all well known. And here I am, a living statistic, right? <laughs> not looking good. You're driving the numbers in the wrong direction. I mean, clearly, though, I'm I'm not afraid of commitment. <laughs> <laughs> There's the silver lining. So my friend goes, Andy, can I talk to you in the kitchen? I was like, yeah, yeah, what's up? He goes, dude, you're an asshole. He said, I want you to leave. <laughs> my best friend, yeah. my brother, yeah. get the fuck out. I didn't get mad. Yeah. I was shocked because I knew it. My, my deep inter, inner MD knew it because what I was saying is I was crying for help. I was crying out for help, but it was help that nobody could give me. It was the only help that would help me was me. I was screaming for love and safety and validation as a kid, but I never got it. I got abused from the very one that should have been giving it to me. That's why I was a people pleaser. I was screaming for somebody to tell me that I'm okay being me. I'm okay just the way that I am. But I kept adopting whatever I needed to adopt to become liked by the people that were in front of me which I kept violating myself every time I did it because though I'm being liked by all these people, I'm hating myself as a result. That wears you down. Every time, please everyone. every time you try to please somebody and you sacrifice your own needs or, or the boundaries you should be setting, you remind, I was reminding me that my mom was right. I'm not worthy. I'm not valid. So I went, Okay, and I left. I spent the next year, I went to therapy, and I shut the fuck up. And I went, he's right. This is not the happy MD that I knew growing up. This is not the young man that saw hope. This is not the young man that would get on his bike and aspire to be something of note that would inspire people as a cyclist or something, but I kept finding these struggles in these barriers because I was not looking at the immense power within myself. So before I said anything, I asked myself, MD, does this need to be said? And is this going to help anybody? And if it doesn't need to be said, and if it's negative, then how can I put a positive spin on it? So I worked so diligently into literally changing my thought process for a whole year. I became very quiet, became very alone. I tried boxing to like take things that like, 
you know, my mom like beating the crap out of her because she beat the shit out of me. Um, but that didn't do it. Um, weightlifting, like I was trying all these things to try to work out this, like I, I need to target this thing. And the one thing that I found that I still do to this day, and I've had a couple of uh, therapists are like, I see why that works is, um, you know, we, we are in such a soft society now. We don't have the ability to unleash that primal rage that we have that kept us alive in our, in our primal days, right? Before comfort and air conditioning, <laughs> right? And um, when, you know, and we're kind of generation X is kind of that last generation where uh, we were pre-social digital, come home when the street light comes on. And we also got into, uh, into schoolyard fights and punch motherfuckers in the face, right? People aren't punching the fucking face anymore. Yeah. I got punched in the face a few Did times. You? Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wakes you up, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Really quick. <laughs> yeah. And it, it ignites that alpha male. Yep. Right? So <clears throat> I take clay pots, about yay big, and I get one of those big fat Sharpies. And to materialize one issue I have, whether it's a person, a thing, whatever, money, a bill, uh, a situation, a, a, you know, whoever or whatever. And I go out to a, a, an empty field and I have this baseball bat and I keep it next to my bed and I unleash a violent fury and I prepare myself for it and I'm walking up and sometimes it's one pot, sometimes it's multiple, it just depends on what's going on. And I allow myself to have a completely raw outlet with that one thing that I've materialized and I give myself focus. Again, comes back to focus. I cry, I yell, I cuss, I scream, like full on emotional outlet. Am I done with this issue? No, keep fucking pounding. When I'm done, next issue. And then when I'm done, I dealt with you and I say whatever it is, I dealt with you, I dealt with you, I dealt with you, I dealt with you. I'm good. And I go home and I sleep like a fucking baby. Because I gave my body the ability to do what it naturally needs to do, and that's have a hard fucking reset, chemically and physically, by being violent in a very directed and focused way. I don't take medication. I don't need medication. Because I've found through research the things that the way that the body utilizes itself in chemicals and hormones to do what it needs to do, but in, in focused ways. Because a thoroughbred, they're fast motherfuckers. They are meant to run. That's why they need blinders. But if you don't give them blinders, they're just going to run fast everywhere. But if you want them to break the land speed record and win, you got to give them blinders because they're meant to be fast. We are meant to be fast, but we get distracted by all this shit, including our past. We need focus so that we know, so we can take our God-given talents and our DNA and use them to our benefit. But comfort, ease, people in the stands, the dirt, the, the, the lake over here, the feeder over here, we, we're running everywhere. No wonder we feel as though we have no purpose in life because we have no direction. We don't have our focus centered correctly. How do people find that purpose? That's something that I talk a lot about here on the show and have conversations with, with quite a few people about making sure that you find your purpose. I feel fortunate that I thought I knew my purpose through the majority of my life. And it wasn't until my mid-30s that I recognized, uh, maybe, maybe that wasn't my purpose. And as time has progressed over the past six years, I've come to realize my purpose in life is to help others grow, to help them find their way and path. So how do you, MD, help people find their purpose? Your struggles 
reveal your testimony. That's your mission. The things you learned, you're an expert in. Help others. Right? I became a, a, a master of myself, which gave me the ability to be an amateur of others. And that's where I try to help. Because I look at all my struggles that I've come through, and I've come through a lot of weird shit. And I finally had that aha. My mentality that I've become to really evolve and grow is something most people don't have. They don't have that clarity. I wasn't taught this. I'm not formally educated. Uh, I just became a master of me. Do you think that comes through enduring adversity? Yes. And making it through yes. to the other side mm -hmm. instead of being that person that that sits in hell instead of keeps moving through it. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you know of any names of people that um, are the dead carnage along Mount Everest? Right. We only know of the people in the history books of people that made it to the top. We want to learn from them how they did it, right? There's a bunch of highly motivated people that are left dead along, along Everest. Yeah. It's not motivation that does it. But even when you get to the, and this, is, I, I love Everest because this is one of the greatest analogies about life because when you look at Everest to climb, it takes 90 days to do it. When you get to the top, you can only be there for 15 minutes or else you'll die. Most people want to live this life of a perpetual vacation, a life of constant happiness. They're seeking happiness, right? The problem is happiness is not a condition or a result of the conditions around you. It's a choice regardless of them. Happiness is a choice. They're seeking happiness from conditions. They're seeking uh, a destinational bliss because I'll be happy when. Once I have money, I'll save money. No, you'll never have money unless you become disciplined with the very little money you have and save what you can. Now you're going to be disciplined and responsible when you have a lot of money. But you're not going to be disciplined and responsible with nothing and then expect you're going to be disciplined and responsible with something. Right? So for me, as I grew up as a, as a young man, um, I left every place, apartment or house I rented in better condition than when I found it, because one day I wanted to own my own, but I'm never going to, I'm never going to prove my ability to be responsible until I I'm proven to be responsible with somebody else's. But if you trash somebody else's shit, you'll, you'll trash your own shit. I can tell somebody's, uh, uh core values when I look inside their car, the one place where you spend a lot of time where a lot of people can see in your windows. And if you don't give a shit, you got wrappers and trash and dust and all that everywhere. You have no value in the things that, that you possess. If you're not even willing to take care of your car, how can I entrust you to take care of something I value in your guide? So with Everest, life is actually about the climb, which, which means the majority of our life is meant in adversity and struggle. We'll have our brief moments of being at the top. We'll have our brief vacations. We'll have our brief moments of bliss. But until we start really accepting the fact that our character, that our core values, that our strength is really built during challenge and adversity, then you're living a very limited life and you're never reaching the real opportunities you have because you're not willing to look at the things that maybe you're not great at, but you wanna be better at. If you're not willing to suck on day one because you've got too big of an ego, because you think uh, everybody's opinion of you is more important than the opinion of yourself, then you'll never do it. But people that are willing to take a risk trust themselves enough because they've done one thing, 
they see themselves different than most. It's not that they're lucky or it's not that they have a different level of DNA. It's that when they go through a hardship or they fail, they go, that was a lesson. Okay, let's keep going. Because momentum is everything, right? If you slow down to look at your past and go, I'm incapable because this happened or I made this mistake. Well, yeah, you're, you're just telling yourself you're not, you're not worthy of something greater. But if you look at the mistake and go, hmm, okay, I couldn't do 315 today, but I did 305 for four. I'm gonna do this for two more weeks and I went to absolute failure. I couldn't do the last rep. Cool, but next week I'm gonna get there. So as long as you keep facing failure going, this is pushing the line in the sand for me. This is not, this is not proving I'm incapable. This is proving that I'm making progress. Now you're looking at life in a way that you're gonna start finding happiness because you keep showing up for yourself. The reason why so many people don't have, or they have so much anxiety and they have a lot of internal conflict is it's not because of life around them. It's the life they live within them. If you give yourself opportunities to show up every day, meet a challenge and you follow through, that's how you're building self-confidence. So when things go sideways in life, people really freak the fuck out because they're like, I don't know what to do. The reason why you don't know what to do is because you're not giving yourself opportunity daily to show that you do. This is why people of note and success live a very habitual life. They have certain systems they follow every single day. It's not that they're OCD. They're giving themselves these marks to meet these mailboxes, as I call them, that I learned as a triathlete, that every time you meet this mailbox, okay, progress. And I followed through on something that I promised I would do. When you keep following through on yourself, when shit really does go sideways, you're not gonna freak the fuck out because you know you're completely capable because you've proven it to yourself day in and day out with these habits that you set that most people overlook and think it's stupid. I think making my bed every morning is the dumbest thing I do because I'm gonna get in the bed later and mess it the fuck up. When my alarm goes off, I first of all don't hit snooze because it's been proven by science. The moment you hit snooze, you are putting your, your body back into a deep sleep that it wants for the next 75 to 90 minutes. When it wakes it back up in nine minutes, that's why your brain is in a fog for the next four to five hours. Is it's trying to get back into that state. That's why your brain is in shutdown. But with the moment you wake up from that alarm, you're getting your, your brain now active. And as long as you don't tempt it back into comfort of the sheets, and you do something that's hard by getting up with intention because you had a plan, but the moment you let comfort disrupt your plan, you're proving that you're not worthy enough. That snooze is one of the, oh, it's worse than sugar. It's addicting. Comfort and ease is, is addicting. But comfort and ease is the very enemy of progress. It's the very enemy of self-confidence. It's the very enemy of proving that you're worthy. So you have to adopt these small things in your life that allow you to go, I'm gonna do this, and then you do it. Good job, MD. Good job, Sean. Now what's the next mailbox, right? Because what I learned as a, as, as a triathlete doing Ironman, that finish line is so far away, you can't see it. When you tow the line in that sand, you see those buoys disappearing because of the surf. You think, you're gonna think right there, why am I even here? I can't do this. This is nine, 10 hours away. What the fuck am I doing? Okay, I'm gonna swim to that buoy. And when that swim to that buoy, I'm gonna swim to shore. When I swim to shore, I'm gonna go to transition. But that run, that run is the test. It's an out-of-body experience. And that's when you really figure out what you're made of. But that one particular race, uh, I was halfway through the run, my body hit the wall. 
And um, if you've ever hit the wall before in any sport and your body is like, I'm done. It was 109 degrees outside, not a cloud visible, not a breeze. And I got the shivers. Like I got, I got, I got cold and that is danger zone. And my, my nipples were bleeding. My shoes were turning pink because of the blood from my heels. And I went from a really great stride to a shuffle. And there's a, a aid station every half mile. And my body kept drifting. I could just take my number off. I'll get in that van and take me back to transition. But it became this moment that when you are stuck in your pain and your suffering of the struggle of the moment, if you stay present in your pain, it'll cloud your vision of why you're really there. Because when that goal is too big and too far away, you're gonna allow yourself to be tempted by comfort and ease, revert back to the old habits that didn't serve the version of you you aspire to be. So what I realized is, okay, if, I don't, if I'm losing my sense of making progress and if I feel as though I'm not making it, then I will quit because the pain's too great. Okay, what can I see that I'm getting closer to as I shuffle? I can see that fucking mailbox. Okay, MD, get to the mailbox. And I would get to that mailbox. Good job, MD. Okay, let's get to the next one. That conversation that you were having within yourself. Okay, this sucks. My, my heels are bleeding. I'm, I'm wavering. I'm getting chills in 109 degree weather. However many hours in you were. Not everybody has the mental fortitude to have that mindset. It's because you forget your why. That's a good point. You forget your why. So I want to talk through the importance of having people in your life and in your corner that are there to support you and help you through that adversity. And it's important for people to understand that these people that care about you and that are coming to the table and pushing you and motivating you and inspiring you, Sometimes they're going to share some feedback with you on what you need to do different or better if you're going in a wrong direction. And it's important that you recognize that it's coming from a place of care and that it's not that they're trying to tear you down. It's that they want to see you succeed. They want to build you up. If you have the right circle. If you have the right circle. Exactly. Because not everybody is, wants the best for you. They want you to remain a character that is best for them. So your circle is everything. It is. The five to six that you keep closest is the most influential circle you'll ever have. And if it's with your homies, I'd get rid of my homies mm -hmm. about 15 years ago. Yeah. Love them. Yeah. But I was not challenged. It was the same conversation every fucking weekend. Let's go out and have a beer. Let's go to the same bar. Let's go to the same restaurant. And I was not inspired. I love them. Mm-hmm. But they are in a they are in a no different place now than the, than where they were fifteen years ago. Yeah. How do you step away from them gracefully? Again, I love them, yeah. but I knew that I needed once I realized the value of my circle. I knew I needed to make room for a circle that really served the version of me that I feel as though I'm destined to be, and that that circle will help me get there. Proximity is everything. If your circle, the people you're around, the things that you do are not showing you what is truly possible because it's tangible, because your circle needs to be tangible. It needs to be people you can shake their hand, you can hug their neck, you can have a conversation with them. This is not some 
influencer you follow on Instagram. That is not your fucking circle. The people that can talk to you, look you in the eye, that you can feed their energy, and you see what they're doing in life to give you that beacon. They've been to, they've been to the top of Everest, multiples. If you even wanna to get to one Everest, you gotta, you gotta be around a guy that's been to multiple. Because you don't wanna be, you don't wanna be around a person that won once. I wanna be around a fucking champion. You can win once doing anything. But somebody that wins repeatedly operates from a very different mindset. So you need to be around a champion mindset. You know what? That person that wins over and over and over, when they give you feedback, when they give you guidance or direction on how to do something, how to execute something, you listen. You don't let your ego get in the way. Because if you do, you're just going to continue down that same failing path over and over and over. And you've got to check your ego. Because if you, if you are unable to check your ego and actually take the time to receive that feedback and process it and think about it, you're never going to get anywhere. When you're willing to walk away from the circle that doesn't serve the version you aspire to be, then you're willing to put your ego aside. Mm -hmm. But only until then. But how do you get to that point? Yeah. The only way you can do that is by looking back to who you used to be and who you are and learning what made you who you are today from who you used to be. What are the things that you faced? What are the things that you failed at? What are the things that you didn't do right? And go, okay, this is not a right or wrong game. I'm not a right person or a wrong person. I didn't make the right or wrong decision. I made decisions. I had outcomes. Okay. Are the outcomes that I'm, that I'm getting, and it's called the uh, Pareto Principle. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of it? Yep. 80-20. 80% mm -hmm. of your outcomes come from 20% of the of the decisions you make. And if you're making 35,000 decisions a day, that means 7,000 decisions a day are directly correlated to the 80% of the results you're getting. I hope you guys heard me on that. <laughs> Which means you have to give much more intention to the decisions you're making. Now, the 35,000 decisions a day is from the micro to the macro. Like when you, you know, you're going to wear the red shirt over the, over the, over the white shirt. You're going to, you know, wear this shoes. You're going to take a right here. You're going to go talk to this. You're, a lot of things are subconscious, but they're still just decisions that are being made, which is why people are so tired at the end of the day. Because the brain uses 40% of the carbohydrates you, you consume on a daily basis. It needs that for the neuro uh, activity that's going on inside this noodle, right? So if you undereat and you get, and you're, you're getting like loopy, you need more carbs. You don't need coffee. Right? But once you understand yourself enough to realize the machine you are and uh, the, the, the animal that you are and the organs that are operating, and you finally begin to bridge the gap between mind and brain, and brain and body, and body and spirit, once you begin to see the congruence of those and how they work together, not against you, now you're looking at creating a life that you can actually own versus a life you're just willing to accept. And I think as you progress through these seasons of your life. I want to go back to what you were mentioning a moment ago as far as, okay, looking back at the person you were and then thinking about who you are now, it took different people in your circles to be able to inspire, motivate, and influence you to get to this stage. As we move through these seasons of our lives, it's almost like a, a stair step that you're, you're going through because what gets you to this level is not going to be the same thing that's going to get you to this level is not going to be the same thing that gets you to this level. People are looking to accomplish things in life or require things in life that only require who they are, not who they need to become. Mm -hmm. Because if you want to really accomplish something big, you've got to become a different person to get there. You do. 
But most people don't know how that works, right? But it's by mailboxes. That's all it is. <laughs> it, it's this success is in the details. You and I, we're nerds, right? <laughs> okay. You know, I operated. We can say that. It's okay. <laughs> I, I, every time I test myself about twice a year, I'm literally 49, 51% right, left brained. Okay. I'm analytical, but I'm also creative. Yeah. I'm intellectual, but I'm also emotional. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, it's weird. Yeah. And I keep thinking I'm going to err on the side of just being, you know, wearing my heart on my sleeve all the time, which I do. Mm -hmm. But, but I also know too, that my brain is analytical up until about 11 AM. After that, it's creative. If I try to be creative in the morning, won't happen. I'm going to be frustrated. I can't do this. I can't do this right now. I can't be prepared to uh, run a championship race unless I warm up. So if I try to win the championship race at 9 a.m., I'm not gonna be able to win it because I haven't prepared myself correctly to be able to be in the, a position and place to go, I know I can win and I can win. I can, I am, and I will. The three things that people need in life on a daily basis to remind themselves that whatever it is that they're gonna face, they can face it and get through it. It's one of the things I learned in boot camp, Marine Corps. One of, the, one of the very few lessons I took from that, which was so crazy because at the time it was like, just get me the fuck out of here. Yeah. But when that drill instructor gets in your face with that smoky bear hitting you in the brim right there and he's telling you to look straight ahead, but the moment you eyeball him, he's gonna make you do push-ups till you throw up. Well, how the fuck am I supposed to look straight ahead and not look at you in the eye when you're right in front of me? Which became one of the most important lessons in my life that I learned when it came to adversity. Adversity is going to be there, but it doesn't mean that you have to give it energy by looking directly at it. Look through it. Look at where you want to go. So that correlates to a lesson I learned in mountain biking uh, because I was a mountain bike racer in off season as a triathlete. There was this one course I was training on and it had this hard left turn, almost went 180, and there was about a 15-foot drop right there at the edge of it and with this orange net, right? And my buddy Russell, God bless him, I love this man. <laughs> He, he was a master's. He was, he was about 20 years older than I am. And uh, that guy was a fast fucker. And uh, man, I just, I couldn't negotiate this turn without losing my shit. And uh, he was like, MD, quit looking at where you don't want to go. Get your eyes around the turn down the path. You'll get there. And you're not going to put on the brakes. You're, you're naturally just going to go through it. Yeah, whatever. Finally, come down the hill one time on one of the loops. All right, fine. I'm going to test it. I just coming down and I... I, you want to look at where you don't want to go. You want to look at danger. You want to look at the threat. But that's called distraction. You need to keep your eyes focused on where you want to go. Again, it comes down to focus. Sure enough, and I didn't even look at the turn. I looked at where I wanted to go out of the turn. Every time. Focus is everything. And how we give our focus a lot to one of the principles, and this was um, a principle that I learned to disagree with as I, as I kind of came through this new path in life when it came to uh, um, spirituality. Oh, everything happens for a reason. No, it doesn't. Again, you have your own belief. This is based on my experience. I do not believe that things happen for a reason. I believe things happen, but we decide to give them reasons. Because for me, that gives me the ability to go, if this happened, okay, I'm either gonna choose to be a victim to it or I'm gonna choose to use it as a lesson to build me better. You mean to tell me that this happened because it was meant to crush me? No, no. 
I'm going to choose the definition of this moment because I, and ultimately my biggest fear, and this is one of the things that, that, that I carry every single day, two things as a parent, I cannot tell my kids, you can do anything. You can be anything. You will change the world. If I don't show them that it's possible, but if I get stuck in my phone, if I, you know, continually play a victim and I think I'm only as good as what I have and I don't strive for more, I'm showing my kids that I'm a hypocrite because at some point they're going to go, well, dad, how come you didn't? So I begin to understand that when I die, I'm going to meet this version that I was destined to be, that you are destined to be. But when I die, what I don't want to happen is to be total strangers. I want to be an identical twin. And if I want to become that version, that comes down to every single intentional decision I make on a daily basis. Am I doing things to set me up to believe that I'm capable or am I resorting to comfort and ease and accepting, I guess I'm just not lucky, like Sean is. My friend has it, he must've got lucky. I guess I'm just stuck for this nine to five job that I really hate. I wish I had it better. I, I sure want more, but Sean clearly got the deck of cards that I didn't get. Yeah. The quote that comes to mind for me, whenever I hear he must be lucky is, and I don't even remember the, the coach that, that said it, it floats around the internet all the time, but luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And I firmly believe that because there's a lot of steps that you take every single day, every week, every month, every year that are positioning you and building the skills necessary to take advantage of and seize an opportunity. There are no overnight successes, maybe onesies, twosies. There's not a lot of overnight successes. All of these overnight successes we see on social media, there's years of effort. There's years of intentionality behind everything they do. And you mentioned earlier about how you see these people that have, that appear to be very habitual people that achieve great things in life. Yes, they are very habitual. And there's a reason they figured out a system that works for them. They don't waste time on crap. That is just a waste of time. There's that intentionality. These that, habits serve the version I aspire to be. That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. That's or exactly this version to. Uh, represents the version I'm, I'm just merely accepting. Mm -hmm. And we go, okay, all right. Throughout the majority of my career, well, I've always been intrinsically driven to climb that corporate ladder. I wanted that six-figure salary. I wanted that director title, the VP title, and so on. And there were things that kind of root back all the way to my childhood that kind of created that mindset within me. Yeah. And it wasn't until my mid thirties that I kind of started realizing that I was looking at things all wrong. I was seeking the destination. I was looking for the top of Everest, the title, the salary, the position, the team, all of these things. And throughout my mid thirties, I kind of came to this, this realization event. It didn't happen overnight, but that yes, I was chasing 
the wrong thing. And I needed to learn how to love the process. And I didn't recognize that in the moment, but when I had the opportunity to step in outside of the IT world, which is what the majority of my career had been, and start leading human resources, it pulled the blinders back to an entirely new world, the human side of things. And as I started to help coach and build and mentor this team, I realized that I had this passion around building people and helping them succeed. And that evolved into my purpose in life. And now I'm not worried about the titles. I'm trying to figure out how can I help MD be successful? How can I help Jason be successful and Sally and, and everyone else on the team? And interestingly enough, when you espouse that philosophy and start building everyone around you on your team, on teams around you, all ships rise with the tide. And whenever I started doing that, my position, salary, title, everything continued to grow within the organization. But that wasn't the driving force anymore. It was, how can I help you be successful? You bring value to others, not try to take value from others. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. That's how, I mean, that. that's... I. Until you start looking at life as being a contributor versus a taker, you're always going to live from limiting beliefs and you're always going to feel like, why is it not happening for you? And that's what the majority of people on social media do. They consume. Mm-hmm. They don't create. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, look, I, I there's funny shit we'll look at, memes mm-hmm. and yeah. all kinds of stuff, right? For sure. But there's a moment where, and I catch myself, I'm swiping mindlessly and I stop. I put my phone down. Mm-hmm. Right? Even my kids. Like... Um, I have some truly some of the greatest kids that walk this earth and they are going to change this world. Um, they're on social media, very limited. They don't live on it. They're on one called be real, which is you make one post a day mm. when the timer goes off, uh, based on where you are. It's super cute. Like my kids, sometimes I'm in them, you know, I love it. And they're both on Instagram. Um, but both of my older two, uh, 17 and 15, um, they don't really post. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tag them though. People can't see the tag cause I don't want people trying to find my kids, but, um, I love how they approach it because when we're home, there are times where I notice my kids are on their phones and I'm like, well, that's because I'm on mine. Okay. Put my phone up. Hey guys, let's just connect for a bit. I get it. Right. Is there anything pressing you guys need to be on your phones for any projects or classmates or whatever? No. Can we just put our phones up? Let's be present together. Even if it's just watching a movie, Right. But when you're here and here and here and here, you're not here. And so many people find themselves kind of disconnected and floating. It's because their brain is being hardwired to get their dopamine and serotonin hits from a device of a world that is beyond them versus the world that's in front of them. And so one of the things I I help uh, explain to people is if you want to begin to instigate imminent change in your life, you've got to become very present in your life. And being present in your life means constantly being self-aware of the intentional decisions you're making, as well as the influence that you're making on the lives of other people. You know, leadership is, um, it's one of the most grossly misunderstood things, especially in corporate culture. Um, uh, Leadership is not something, it's not a title you can give yourself. It's only a title that's given to those that are in your guide. And that being a title of a leader is something you've had to earn because leadership is, 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 it's not being a motivational speaker. It's 
giving people opportunity to rise up to the potential that you see in them and you give them mailboxes to reach that. Most people with a boss mentality with a huge ego are going to give people tasks that they want to see them fail at. So they can prove they're the smarter one. They can prove they're the one, they're the reason why they have the title and the salary. This is why I make the big, this is why they pay me the big bucks. You tell me that, get the fuck out of my way. Because that position you're in, you're not going to be there long. Mm-hmm. You're going to sabotage yourself because your ego is too big. There's a few people that are coming to mind immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Leadership is something you earn because it, it, it's, a, it's a path of sacrifice and, servit- and servitude. One of the greatest things that I love doing uh, within the company that I work at at Tilted Concepts is when I came on board, nobody knew me. Um, CEO and I have been friends and um, he wanted me to come in and take over marketing for all the brands. And the, uh, one of the girls who now is the director of operations for one of our brands, a uh, young woman, uh, full of incredible potential. But she's the one that made, like, who are you? Got to know me. Sees all these books in my office and could just tell I just kind of operate a little bit different. Because I don't, I don't need to, like, dick swing and prove who I am and all that, right? I'm going to let my actions speak. Because actions show true intention, show true ability, right? And I'm just going to let these things happen. She started coming to me asking, MD, could you like um, kind of help me? Like as I come through these th- decisions I need to make and, and I really want to think things through correctly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Weekly phone call, weekly face-to-face meeting. Two others in the company from a, a totally different brand. And um, every week. And I've seen their careers exponentially grow. I've seen who they are in three years completely change who they were to who they are today. And it's not because I'm some amazing person. And even in my coaching, it's not that I'm giving these world-renowned thoughts that they've never thought of before. It's about getting people to um, stop looking, trying to find purpose through the fog and look at what's directly around them. Because the steps you're taking and the clarity that you have around like the the 10-foot vision of, of clarity you have amidst dense fog is all you can control, right? So if you look at where you want to go, it's kind of unknown. You, you know you're kind of headed in a certain direction. You can see some dim lights. You see some mailboxes in the, in the, uh, the foreseeable distance. But what's clear is what right in front of you, right? Okay, this is what I have to deal with right now. This is what I have to face. Okay, what have I learned in my past that has equipped me to know how to face this the best that I know? And one of the quickest ways for people to make a, a big shift in their life is to look back at all their mistakes and all the things they've done that they really harp themselves about and say, Sean, I forgive you for the mistakes you made strictly, strictly trying to survive and become who you are today. I forgive you. Say, you saying this to yourself, right? If people can look in the mirror, when they begin to revisit a thought and a memory that they're really holding themselves bondage to and say, you know what, that sucked. And I, that was a horrible decision I made. But you know what, MD? I forgive you for making that mistake because you did it with the best of intention just to try to survive and get through with what little you knew at the time. But you know what, MD? You're wiser today. You know better today. Let's keep going. Don't keep turning around back into the fire. The adversity that we, the adversity that we encounter and endure in our lives does help shape us. And earlier, whenever I mentioned I was intrinsically driven to climb that ladder, I had this chip on my shoulder of trying to prove something to somebody that's not even in my life and has not been in my life for almost 40 years. It's insanity. And (laughs) 
I think so many people fall into this trap of trying to prove that they were good enough. And I did it for the majority of my life. And I still struggle with it at times, but it's something that I'm, I'm working through. I stopped trying to prove people wrong a long time ago because it kept me in a, in a negative context mm-hmm. of thinking. Yep. If I want to live a positive, fulfilling life, why do I want to keep my purpose rooted in negativity? Mm-hmm. I mean, 80% of our thoughts are rooted in negative events anyway. Mm-hmm. Why do I want to sabotage even more of that? Yeah. Right? Because the funny thing that I've learned, I'm, I'm going to be 50 this year. Mm-hmm. Our 20s, when I've reflected back, our 20s are about proving other people wrong. Mm-hmm. We're independent. We're an adult. We can do this. We can do anything. I don't need your advice. I'm going to make it happen regardless of you. F you. But our 30s become, I'm going to prove myself right. Because we start, we, we've had a few failures. We've had a few pitfalls. We've had some hard hits. We've been punched in the face a couple of times by life. Um, but it's about proving that, okay, I, I can do this, right? But what I found in my 40s is I now step into my 50s. It's my 40s I realized I had nothing to prove at all. And when I had my birthday, my kids They're like, how does it feel to be 49? Well, weird. Because, you know, brain-wise memories, I mean, I, you know, high school is so vivid for me. Yeah. The body just, I mean, my dad told me when I graduated high school, be careful because life is going to become a blur now. And he was so right. But I said, guys, I'm actually excited. Because I, uh, last year, I, in uh, the uh, marriage I had been in for about six, seven years uh, with a true narcissist, had finally come to an end. I said, guys, I'm actually excited. And my daughter, who's 15, said, why, daddy? And I said, because I'm looking at the first 49 years of my life and I have so much clarity. This second half for my life is the one that's gonna be the most fulfilling. My 40s have been the hardest, the most challenging, the most gut-wrenching, kicked in the nuts more times than I can count but it's also been the most fulfilling decade too because of the clarity of going, I don't have anything to prove. I am strong enough of all the things that I've gone through, all the things that I've faced, all the things that I've battled, all the, thing, all the battles I've fought. I realized I am an incredibly skilled warrior that I never knew. And now that my swords are sharp, now that my vision is clear, and now that my awareness is so vivid, this second half is going to be the crusher. So I'm looking forward to it. You ask most people, oh man, I can't believe I'm almost 50. Fuck. Really? You're coming out of the tunnel with that attitude? You are destined to lose everything. Hell, I feel like I'm just getting started. Yeah, man. 100%. But you know, the folk, and I keep, I've referred back to focus. And this is the thing that I learned, man. Tony Robbins talked about the four pillars. If you don't know what that is, look it up. But I'm gonna give you an expanded version uh, because I, I've been to every motivational seminar. I've read countless motivational books with The Secret. The Secret's usually like to buy in the webinar and to buy into this coaching program or whatever, which is why I've only finished two thirds of every book I've pretty much read because I get the gist of it. Yeah. Is we have outcomes in our life and we have to go, okay, is this the outcome that serves me? Okay, if it is, Good. Now, how can we improve the outcome we just got? Every race, every triathlon, regardless of the outcome, where could I shave off more time? How could I get faster? How could I become more efficient? No matter the outcome, how can I get better? That's 
what keeps champions champions, right? Because you keep revisiting little areas you can make improvement. But the outcomes, if you don't like the outcomes, outcomes are a result of your actions, okay? Well, you can't just change actions because your actions are rooted in your decisions. But it's not about changing decisions because those decisions are a fruit of your beliefs. Where do your beliefs come from? These beliefs that we have, believe that we have the potential or do we believe that we're just a victim? We believe that uh, we just don't have that deck of cards. Well, those beliefs come from our thoughts, which depending on your study, anywhere between 60 and 80,000 thoughts a day, which means based on 35K, for every two thoughts will yield one decision. And if 20% of our decisions yield 80% of our outcomes, then how do I have the right beliefs? Well, beliefs are a result of our thoughts that we're revisiting over and over again. And if 80% of our thoughts are rooted in negative experience, that is beginning to tell a very sad tale. But where do those thoughts come from? The number one most overlooked and most powerful commodity we have in life as humans, and that is our focus. If we continually focus on the things we failed at, then we will think on things that we failed. We're gonna recycle them, which means we're telling our reticular activator that we want more of those things that prove that we're failures. You're gonna face failure all the fucking time, which is going to reinstill your belief that it's just not for you, which means you're gonna make decisions based on that belief. So if you wanna revisit this, then you've gotta put your focus not on the failure itself, but the lesson that you learned that made you better. When you begin to shift your focus and you begin to get your intentions aligned with your outcomes, and those intentions will then have down the ladder actions, your actions are aligned with the true version you aspire to be, the things that you truly aspire to accomplish, now you're gonna start to see that you habitually can. But it all comes down to focus, not the decisions. I'm in branding, I just love 35K a day. Right? Because it starts the story. Yep. But focus is the one thing that people are overlooking. The things you watch, the things you listen to, who you give your focus to. When you start to realize the value of your focus, you begin to understand how little value you're giving to yourself. I'm going to put my focus on the guy who I want to become at the end of today. Where do I start? I'm going to get up when my alarm goes off. What are you gonna do when your alarm gets off? I'm gonna immediately start telling myself while I'm still in that theta phase, this is gonna be an amazing day. I'm gonna have a great day and I'm gonna face some things that I've never faced, but I'm gonna find a way through them because I'm fully capable. I am capable, I will be capable, and I can be capable. Okay, what are all the things I can think of that I'm grateful for? And I immediately go through them, everything that comes to mind. I get up and I make my bed because I think it's stupid, but I do it anyways. Then I take a five minute cold shower. Then I spend about the next 30 minutes meditating, writing, just letting my brain just begin to start the momentum of my day. See my kids, read, check some emails, whatever. But I spend the first part of my day with direct intention because the days that I don't, my days don't go with the outcomes that I truly, truly want. And I'm not fully prepared 
when I do face the things that go sideways because I haven't stuck to the things that I know that get me to become the man that I aspire to be. It's these little bitty habits, right? Because it's that momentum is everything. You know, I started to, I used, I used to hit the snooze five or 10 times. It took me forever to get my day going, right? And I was a victim of, again, everything else. Well, we'll see how the office, we'll see how the day goes when I get to the office. What if everybody's in a shitty mood? Well, you're going to be a shitty mood. Really? Because we're kind of like this boat. We're, we're out here in the world. We have a sail. We have a rudder, which are our decisions. Most of the time, we're just autopilot. We're just going to let the current of the conditions and people around us to take us where it wants us to take us. But if we want to go here, but the conditions of the attitudes of people and the conditions of the temperature of the world around us are drifting us this way, I want to go here. No, you're not. You're not being intentional. But the moment you put up your cell, you start making decisions based on where you want to go and you put that rudder back in the water. Well, what gives you direction? Resistance. It's going to be hard. The wind's blowing this way, but you're taking that sail to then guide you this direction, right? Well, you got to get that rudder in the water and use your whole body to put your foot down if you've ever been a boat. That requires resistance because you're going against the grain. You're going against where everybody else is taking you. But if you want to get here, a version that you feel as though you're destined to be, that nobody really cares that you're going to be or not, but you've got to do it for you, then you've got to face resistance. Strong winds make strong trees, as the parable says. I have a friend of mine that's a blacksmith. He makes beautiful knives, slices paper like, like a hot knife through butter. But the process of making that knife goes from this block of raw iron. And what does it take? Heat, pressure, pounding, and friction over and over again. But once you get this incredible knife, it doesn't stay that sharp all the time when you're using it, which means you've got to constantly put it underneath friction to keep that, to keep that edge effective which means your daily habits are what keep that edge honed on a daily basis because it's a perishable skill. Your edge is perishable. So that's why you have to have the intentions on a daily basis to really have those habits, the habits that serve the version of you you aspire to be because under moments of pressure, you revert to your habits. So if your habits are rooted in comfort and ease, you're always gonna revert back to the person that you don't wanna be. That's why your habits are so critical. And that's why your, your focus really is the root of everything. Okay. Everything that you were just talking about resonated with me on so many different levels. Knife. This, and I, I can't recall, I think maybe it comes from a, um, a knife fabricator in, in Russia. <laughs> so for those Man. of you that are watching this on YouTube, you can see the butt of the knife. The head of it is a wolf. This is a stunningly beautiful knife, and there's videos of him like cutting all sorts of crazy stuff with it. Just insanely sharp blade. Beautiful piece of work. And I've watched some of the videos of him creating the knives and, and hatchets and all sorts of things that he, that he creates. So as you were sharing that story, all I could think about was this knife. Now this knife has special meaning to me as well, because it was given to me by a friend of mine. His name is Daniel Wolfson. 
we went to high school together and uh, I, we would hang out a bit during the college years, but not as not a whole lot. And we kind of we've drifted apart and together and apart together, just like as life happens yeah. to all of us. But one of the things that has struck me as interesting is is during high school and college, this guy was the partier, just straight up <laughs> hardcore part. Like you wanted to party, guy. yeah, that's right. <laughs> this was the guy yeah. that you wanted to hook up with and hang out with and do things with. Tons of fun, right? Well, during what, that, what was the character in uh, old school? Frank the Tank. Frank the Tank. That, yeah. Was he Frank? Uh, not quite. <laughs> he was more of the Van Wilder yeah. type. Okay. All right. But that's kind of this this picture that I've had in my head of him over the years. Yeah. And over the past few years, probably two years now-ish, we've reconnected. He's come on the podcast a couple of times. And we've talked a lot about business and life and leadership and things like that. And one of the things that struck me as interesting was I've always had this vision of Van Wilder slash Daniel Wolfson. Whenever he came on the podcast, when we started talking about leadership. This was an entirely different version of Daniel, like blowing my mind with the things that he was talking about in the, in the conversation that, that he and I were having. And ever since then, there's been this, this, our connection has been different in that sometimes he'll call me for guidance. Sometimes I'll call him for guidance. It's been a really strong connection. That's amazing. That's a real gift. And, and it speaks to these people that we have in our lives that 95% or more that we experience in high school and college that just our lives grow apart a lot of times they never grow up they remain the same and we have to move on to that next step in our lives and so i think it's important to be able to recognize the people that they're going to be on their own journeys but there's a lot of times and those journeys start to align and making sure that you maintain those connections because he has been one of my biggest supporters with the show early on from he's probably listened to every single episode of the show if i'm being honest because he'll shoot me a message hey great show and early on he's like hey yeah you kind of screwed that up yeah that what the <laughs> hell was happening there right yeah but yeah. i i valued that feedback so much because in life we don't always get that feedback and i think a lot of times people are scared to give that feedback because it's not received well keep those people in your life that are going to support you. They're going to be there for you. They're going to support you. Do things like this, buying a knife like this. It just, it was like, yeah. I mean, I think I'm going to get a shadow box and mount it somewhere here in the studio because it, it means so much to me. So a little bit of a tangent, but as you were sharing that story, talking about that friend of yours that that makes knives and and how much friction and heat and pressure to get all of that stuff to create this i mean it's uh it's work there's so easy. many analogies in life that apply to life you just have to uh be self-aware enough to become open to learning the lessons that life is showing you mm -hmm. you know people think that they're incapable of so, of, of so much because they're looking at all the, the failures they've made well if michael jordan uh believed that he was not going to be a good basketball player um, he never would have stepped foot based on what his coach said. Mm -hmm. 
But even then, as he became this incredible player, how many game-winning shots did that guy that, did he miss? Well, it didn't mean that he wasn't uh, an amazing basketball player because you're still going to miss. Yeah. The difference is how you react to the losses. Our relationship with pain is really what dictates our outcomes. Your relationship with pain as a bodybuilder is going to determine, are you going to be a guy that just stays the same and lifts the same every single day? Or the guy within two years is like, who the fuck is that guy? Right? He's got, he's got no neck, right? He's got sparks in those corduroys between his thighs right now. You know what I mean? Like, it, like two years ago, he could barely do five plates. He's doing 30 plates on the leg press. How's that? How's that? Oh, he must be taking something. It's called self-confidence. It's called following through with yourself. It's called right? discipline, consistency. It's these analogies that we overlook that are, that are these opportunities to go, look, look at life. Look what you can learn. This is the lesson that I want to show you. And that's when we can revisit failures and actually take failures as lessons, your life changes. You're no longer afraid of making mistakes. You're no longer afraid of failing because your ego is no longer tied to the identity of the success. It's tied to the journey. And you, you, you uh, related to that earlier. I didn't really like racing. Racing for me was like going to, to triathlon church, <laughs> right? You see all the cool bikes, all the legs and everything, high five a few people because it really is a, a sport of solitude. Mm -hmm. I loved training. The feeling of racing was amazing, but I got the same feeling every day from training. It's interesting. So while I've never been a triathlete, I was a distance runner in school and I immediately flashed back to probably 10, 12 years ago. I was real big into CrossFit and I was all about going to the competitions and training for the competitions. I have zero desire to compete these days. <laughs> it's, it's all about the journey. Yeah. And it's become part of who I am. And I'll go to the gym and there's still people to this day that say, hey, are you going to compete? Are you going to do a bodybuilding show? I have no desire to do that at all because it's about the journey. And there are times, ups and downs, and there are times whenever I'm not as strong, I'm not as lean, and because life gets in the way and, and business and all these things, but, but it's a journey. And I've found that for me, going to the gym is part of who I am. Sometimes it's therapy. Sometimes it's just, it's, well, it's actually that therapy. I like your pot idea. I'm probably going um, to try that out at some point, <laughs> get a bat, maybe uh, name it Lucille. I don't know. Something like that. Um, All right, Deacon. There's some, yeah, there's some names and some uh, some things that I could put on those pots. But in any event, yeah, it's, it's all about the journey. And that's the biggest lesson that I've learned in life so far is that it has to be about the journey and it cannot be about the destination. That mentality comes from people that have been to the top because you realize once you get there, it wasn't what you thought. That's exactly what happened to me in my career. And while there's still obviously room for growth, but once I achieved what I perceived to be the top, it wasn't what I thought. I didn't have this euphoric response and, oh my God, I've made it. Or maybe I did for a little bit, but it, it, it waned pretty quickly. And then it was, well, what's next? And as I think through the goals that I had set for myself for my career at, at 25 and 30 and 35, and, and I achieved them every single time, by the time I achieved that goal at 35, I was like, okay, well, damn, this, this was cool. And I hit this goal, but now what? 
And I just, I set another goal for myself. I'm like, well, damn, there's a pattern here. I set these goals every five years on what I wanted to accomplish. And I had this moment of excitement and pride in myself. And it was almost like those mailboxes for me and hit and hitting those goals but it was just it wasn't fulfilling anymore it's the identity that we give things and unfortunately you know when you're younger we think those accomplishments are going to elevate our identity with other people again because we're looking for the approval of others which is why where we are in our society right now mm-hmm. with people demanding the legislation of morality and they're demanding the world accept them for who they are well i don't have to accept you for shit. yeah you need to accept you for you But I can tell you've never accepted yourself because you're demanding the world accept you for who you were trying to peacock to be. Mm -hmm. Because the person that's confident in who they are doesn't need accolades from other people. They don't need trophies on a wall to prove their worth. They don't need to force other people to partake in their imaginary world. Mm -mm. Because it's about, they, they realize they are humble enough to realize that what they do doesn't really matter to most people. Because too, like what we do, people don't remember. They only remember how we make them feel. Mm-hmm. If we make them feel small because we need to feel big, that's because of fear and insecurity. People are gonna then see you as an asshole, which you're gonna continually try to feed that animal because you, and you're gonna step on more and more people because you're trying to feed something that doesn't need to be fed. But you're also just hiding who you're afraid to be, right? Okay, so you're afraid. Okay, that's fine. You're afraid to be rejected by people. That's okay. You've never done anything yet that really has deemed getting accolades. Okay, so then do something that does. You wanna be respected? Earn it. You can't demand it. You, you wanna do something of note that, that inspires other people? Okay, then go through some hard shit and come out of it. <laughs> Take the hits. You seen that? Yeah. The story of two wolves. Have you ever heard that? I have not. <laughs> the story behind it, there's a, and for those of you that are listening, I have a piece of art on my wall, and it's a black wolf and a white wolf, and they're fighting each other. And the story goes, an old Cherokee Indian and his son, he's taking him on a walk, and he starts talking through how we all have two wolves inside of us. We have the dark wolf that is filled with evil and hate and anger and frustration. And we have the, the white wolf that is represents that, that light and hope and, and motivation. And the little boy asks, well, if they're fighting, which one wins? And the dad says, whichever one you feed. <laughs> yep. And so that I've heard that story, and whenever I saw that art online, I don't even remember where I bought it from, but it, it's just such a beautiful piece and such a reminder of we all have this battle going on inside of us, and we get to decide which one we feed. I um I love I love bison, the meat. Yes, I love bison. Yeah. I love bison food. It's amazing. The difference between bison and cattle, you even look at um, their physical stature, right? I have this picture in my office, and it's this bison that's just covered in snow, just ice crystals all over him, and he's by himself. The, 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 
and the analogy of bison versus cattle is, is fascinating to me because it, it, you know, I said earlier, strong winds make strong trees, right? You're only going to be strong until you bring yourself to the point of failure. Only then will you really experience your true strength. Only in that moment. Because until then, it's what's comfortable. You're capable of doing that, right? When a storm comes in, cattle run away from it in a herd. Bison actually run into the storm. So if you, th if you can visualize what a cow looks like with what a bison looks like, bison are huge up front, massive shoulders, huge mane of their fur, very narrow heads and very almost look like the typical guy that never does leg day. <laughs> Honestly, that's kind of what it looked like. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. They're genetically made up because based on their decisions, their DNA evolved them into this creature because of the decisions they made of, well, you're going that way. Well, you're just prolonging your suffering by trying to run away from the storm because it's slowly going to overtake you. Both are going to suffer. Bison just suffer less right? With people, we naturally uh, follow the path of least resistance. That's why most people resort to always trying to find comfort and ease. They want to be that pond, right? Just glistens, reflects the, reflects the sky. It's beautiful. It's very serene. Well, there's the interesting fact about humans. We are 64% water. That's what makes us up. And you want to talk about you're not capable? Okay, I challenge that thinking because water, when it begins to build momentum and there's a rock in front of it, it's going to find a way to get around it. You get enough momentum and enough water, you create rapids. But let's say if something all of a sudden just hard stop, what does water do? It'll begin to back up. Why? It's pulling back on a slingshot. It's getting ready. It's building its strength and momentum because what happens with water, it's going to find a way. And if there is no way, it creates one. And if you don't think you're strong enough and capable enough of getting through whatever it is you're facing right now, then you forget about what created the Grand Canyon. That was water that faced resistance. And over time, it created the largest canyon that spans this globe because of water, beautiful and serene in a pond. But give it momentum it will find a fucking way. So you don't think you're capable? I beg to differ because 64% of your body is made up of the very thing that can create the Grand Canyon. So now tell me you can't. When you tell people that, oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, start thinking. What shirt she is now. Yeah. It is within us to overcome. We have the mind to do it. We have the body to do it. But we keep resorting to the distractions of failure and mistakes, thinking it's only proving that we're incapable when everything about us tells us that we're equipped to handle everything. It's focus. That's what it comes down to. What's the story you're going to tell? Depends on where you put your focus. Because currently the story that most people are telling is based on their past and they think that is their destiny. Your past is nothing more than a starter kit. That is it. And if you think that, you know, you have this sense of imposter syndrome because of where you at or an opportunity you found yourself in, you think you're not capable because you haven't, you don't have what others have maybe in, in the same circle or the same room. Well, you're in that room. 
which means you earned your place. And though you may not have accomplished everything they have, you have accomplished enough to toe that line and go, I'm going to compete. Because everything you went through prepared you for that moment. You just got to remind yourself of the real story you need to be telling, not the lies you've been listening to. Right? Because that identity is huge for people. Most people, they don't, they forget that their words are some of the most powerful seeds that they're planting on a consistent basis. Right? Just like your focus. When people say, oh, I'm just, I'm just depressed today. Mm-hmm. You're meaning you're taking being depressed as your identity by saying, I am. Are you really? Or are you just feeling depressed? Are you feeling anxious? Because feelings are conditional upon the environment. And feelings are also too just a signal. The emotions you have aren't dictating your future. They're just telling you, hey, something's happening right now that you don't like, or it's uncomfortable, or you're facing some things that maybe you don't wanna face. It's not your identity. That's part of the human experience. Right? These are, these are, are, are not uh, a, a path that says this is the only way you, you can go because you're sad today or you're sad for a week or you're sad for a month. Maybe you're going through some heavy shit. Maybe your body's having to recalibrate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe, to take, maybe you need to take the baseball bat to some pots. You know, regulate your brain a little bit. Get, get congruent again. Maybe there's some things going on in your life that you need to be facing that you're resisting because where you need to be requires you to face what you're facing right now. And the longer you resist, the longer you're going to be feeling this sensation of anxiety and stress and fear and and maybe even some depression. Well, what's going on right now that that would be triggering that? Well, there's some pressures going on over here at work and I'm being asked to do some things that I really don't know how to do. Okay. And that's probably why you're procrastinating Mm -hmm. because you're afraid to fail. Okay, be resourceful, be figure out what, what do you know and what have you accumulated thus far to, to even them to consider that they want to hand this off to you? Okay, well, the version of me that I aspire to be, I know that I can figure this out based on everything I figured out up to this point. Okay, now let's find the next mailbox. What do I have that can help me? This is what I have. What do I know? This is what I know. Okay, then what do I think I need to help me? Okay, this is what I need. Well, do you have it? Can you get it? Or do you know somebody that can? Start working the problem, start working the solution, but remove the identity of I can't, remove the identity of I've never done. Well, if you've never done it, but you're faced with it, means you're about to then say, I have done it. Remove the sense of fear of mistakes and failures. Those are the tools that are gonna tell you that you can accomplish anything every time you succeed in the face of adversity. But again, it's focus. It is. We are running out of disk space on our cameras. We have <laughs> one that. camera overheat. We've got another one that's running out of memory. So this has been such an incredible conversation. I knew that we'd have a good talk, but I had no clue that it was going to be this good. As you were talking, I'm thinking, oh, that'll make a good clip. That'll make a good reel. And I've come to this realization that for all of you watching or listening, just watch the whole damn show <laughs> because there's so much value that we got out of this. Thank you. Yeah. How man. do people contact you? Follow me at 35K a day on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, I, I manage that myself. If you send a DM, I'll answer it. Um, but you'll, you'll, see, you'll see the evolution of my thoughts of the things I go through, the things that I share. All those quotes either come from what I'm going through or what I've pulled from my journals. And it's all about helping people overcome our biggest obstacle, which is ourselves, by really coming back to the decisions 
and no matter it's in relationships, in your career, your personal growth, your ambitions, whatever it may be, I hope that 35K a day can give you some level of reminder to what you're truly capable of versus the lies you've been listening to. Thank you. Yeah, brother. Mm -hmm. All right, everybody, that is all we have for the show today. Thank you so much for listening, watching this on YouTube. Please take the time to leave a review, comment, and share the show. Very much appreciated. Y'all have a good one.